Anyway, as you can imagine, we've already had a lot of um, perplexed looks and stunned responses about what we're heading out to do. Uh, I'm the Philipsons know firsthand that people are like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, well, we're just trying to follow God. But, you know, a lot of we've had a lot of really great support, but we have had some funny questions. Um, somebody asked if we were having a midlife crisis. Um, <laughs> and my thought was like, isn't a midlife crisis where you get a house that's way too big or a car or plastic surgery or something like that. I don't think taking your family to a country in war is a midlife crisis, but that was a question. Um, and then I had a dear woman say to me, oh, you've always lived a blessed life and you've always been really close to God. And, um, and I just, every time I hear those kind of statements, it makes me cringe because it's not true. Because we come into every church every week wanting people to take away one thing, and that is that we are just like you. And God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Um, our kids are squirrely. Our marriage is quirky. Um, you know, we are just like everyone else, and we have access to the same power as every one of us do in this room. And so we just want to invite you into kind of a moment of, of asking God what he has for you. If you are wondering what the, your destiny is in life in terms of what God's call is on your life, please um, let me just talk with you a little bit about that this morning. So we are just like you. We have access to the same power. And with that in mind, I want to look closely at a passage that we in the church often feel is a call and a command for some, but in reality it's for all of us, and that is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. In your Bibles this morning, you can look it up or it's on the screen here. Before I get into that, I just want to um, just offer a little bit of historical context because that helps a lot when you know how this is being spoken. At this point in time that this was spoken and then later written, the Jews had killed Christ, and even though he had risen, they were unstoppable in their attempts to do away with his disciples as well. And you might wonder why they were so relentless. Well, I want you guys to think about our situation here with our government this morning. And re remember that we are little pockets of believers in a non-Christian nation. I mean, I know what our roots were. I know what we want. I know what everyone in this room wants it to be. But the reality is our government is slowly moving away from God, right? And so it was a very similar situation that was taking place at this point in time where there were little pockets of believers and they were tired of the government controlling them and the government was tired of their um, shenanigans, so to speak, and, and their, their inability to obey the commands that were coming from the top down. And so there was tension there between Christians and non-Christians, just like our situation today. So it was into this same context that this was spoken to people just like us in a situation just like us. So let's keep that in mind as we read Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sweet spirit, God. We thank you for your personalized love and care for each one of us this morning, God. 
And I pray right now, Lord, that you would highlight for each one of us what the takeaway is that you have for us that pertains to our life situation and our blessings and our victories and our challenges, God. I ask, Lord, that your voice would be heard this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. So as I studied this passage in light of what Jeremy and I are in faith believing God has called us to do and to be a part of, there were four things that popped out to me, um, and I don't think they're revolutionary. I think they're, in hindsight, I think it's clear, um, but I just wanted to focus on that with you this morning. So in looking at Matthew 28, 16 through 17, we first read, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, and the next phrase says, But some doubted. Humanity is exposed for what it is, and this is a very important thing to understand. This is the foundation for the rest of the message, that we are imperfect, and we are a little messy, and we are complicated. And even though we struggle inside of ourselves, even moment to moment, to submit to God versus what we want to do, to um, live under what God has shown us to do, and then to want to move into what we feel like we ought to do. Do you guys know what I'm saying? There's always this internal tension going on, which is the flesh and the spirit. And even though God knew that we were going to kind of be this complicated picture, he created us anyway, in his image, placed his breath of life inside of each one of us, knowing full well that something like this was going to be the final picture. And he loved us anyway. And so even though the disciples, everything started off well, they went to the mountain, they, they obeyed what he said, they were doing what he asked them to do, they still were imperfect. And so uh, the reason I think that God allows us to see these things is because you might be tempted like I am, especially when you grow up in church, to look at these Bible stories and say, what is wrong with the disciples? They lived and walked and talked with Christ. Why can't they get it together? He had done all these miracles and whatever, but God allows us to see our own humanity in each one of these stories. And so right here, before we go on into, further into this scripture, we need to understand that humanity is what it is. It always has been since the fall. And God uses us anyway. So even though all of these elements are swirled together, muddy, threatening to undo us, wanting to destroy us, that's not the end of the message. Now we get on to the good stuff. We see a beacon of hope in this next section. So in the raw, shameful exposure of human frailty in the face of doubt, we see an incredible truth from God's word represented. And we see, secondly, that Jesus is an authority. Verse 18 says, Then Jesus came to them. Now, humanity has been established, kind of messy, kind of chaotic. Then Jesus came to them after the obedience and the worship and the doubt and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's as if he's taken a deep breath or cleared his throat and said, it's not about how messy or how good you are. It's about the authority that's been given to me, is what Christ is saying. In the face of doubt in a moment where the enemy would seek to heap condemnation, Christ speaks truth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. You know, this has been my observation when we talk about the authority that Christ has in our lives. On this lush side, that represents all of these theoretical, intellectual things that we accept as fact. We know that Jesus was present at creation. We know that he fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. He was born of a virgin. He did I don't know how many miracles in the New Testament. 
Um, and he's coming back to get us in the end, right? We have no problem with those heavenly concepts of his authority. Yet in our day-to-day lives, we live as if it's not true. We say, I know Jesus fed the 5,000, but... I know Jesus did this for these people, but... I know God can do that, and he did it for my grandma, but... And we have this kind of um, two-piece life in terms of his authority. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that his authority is the same here on earth as it is in the heavenlies. And even Colossians 1, 16 through 20 goes into great detail to explain that. There's no distinction between who Christ is here on earth and who he is in the heavenlies. We have a hard time making that connection. So instead of our picture looking like this, or the the last one, I think God is challenging us over and over again in his word, and particularly in this verse, to understand that his authority is the same. It is real, it is active, it is alive. And because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ, we're then sent into the world with a confidence that God's mission will be accomplished through us despite our human frailty and our shortcomings. And this should take the pressure off, everyone. It really should. We can't, in our human state, go into all the world and save anyone. We're not good enough. I, I can't keep my act together for more than three minutes at a, for more than 30 seconds sometimes at a time. I mean, you know, we, we struggle. And um, God isn't asking us to save the world. He's asking us to show people God's love and to present that gospel message and to allow him to do the changing of hearts and lives. We simply have to share his love with folks. And remember that we're not the ones doing the saving or preparing of hearts. He is. Our job is to simply present the message that God loved us enough to send his son because he wants to be in relationship with us and then watch God do the real transformation of hearts and lives. Matthew 6, 9 through 10 says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Christ's authority is the same in heaven and on earth. He is alive and active in each one of us when we've said yes to him. With this authority in mind, this brings me to my third point. We're given a divine command found in verse 19 and 20. And the the key word there is the first word in verse 19. It says, therefore. Knowing that humanity is imperfect, knowing that Christ is in authority, and it's about him and not us. Therefore, now that we have these two things straight, therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We are given a commandment to go, to make disciples, to teach, to baptize, and then send those people out, right? That's all we're to do. And this is why Jeremy and I are so excited about the international church, because in a community where there is crisis and there is transformation going on, and people are wondering where they fit in and why this is happening in their lives and stuff, why should the church not be the answer to those questions? Why should the church not be present to provide community? That's why we're all here this morning. We're here this morning because we need each other. That's the way God created the church, to need one another. And I believe that he has given us a position divinely at this point in time to see the gospel spread through the international church. Amen? In this community where transition is the norm, we have an opportunity to see the Great Commission explode. Like our traditional Christmas Eve songs, we can go back 
you know, I put up the candles because on those Christmas Eve songs, you know, we, we talk about God's light and we share our light with other people and we see the Great Commission spread. So you see, Jeremy and I can step in and be a part of what's going on in this effort and we can go, but following you also have an opportunity to be senders and that's what we're here for this morning. You can be a person who brings the message of hope to people with whom you rub shoulders. You know, God is incredibly gracious. Despite our humanity, through his authority, he gives us a command to go, and then finally, because we're human and because we're fallen, he gives us the reassurance of his presence. Verse 20 ends with this statement, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And I love this translation because of the redundancy. God, in his, in his perfection, could say, I'm with you, period. That should be enough. But he says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. There is no place we can go where he's not with us. There is no place where we will be without him, always to the end of the age. I picked this picture to illustrate this point because if you think of the sun as being God, always shining, always giving light and life and warmth, always functioning the way that it's supposed to, the way that we expect it to, that's God. And then we are the people on the earth, and sometimes we're in this little black corner, and we don't feel God at all. This is like 1 o'clock in the morning in January in Wisconsin. It's freezing, it's dark, there's no moon out. You're not feeling the sun, but we all know the sun is still there doing its job. And so we have to rely a lot less on our emotions and more on the truth in his word that he is with us always, even when it doesn't look like it, even when we cannot sense him in ways that we feel we ought to. When we had our first baby, she died shortly after birth. We had a little preemie, and um, God took her home right away and saved her from a whole lot of pain, didn't he? And um, when we were grieving, we felt like we were in that black corner. But the truth of his presence in our lives kept us afloat in a time that was very dark. And maybe sometimes you're not even struggling with something that deep, but you're just looking for direction and the clouds are keeping you from seeing where the sun's at or sensing God fully in your life. No matter what, he's with us always. That's what his word says, forever to the end of the age. So, I think that's a great reminder for each and every one of us who step out and do what he's called us to do and then wait and see where he's at, right? There's no situation, no challenge, no blessing in which our Lord Jesus isn't present with us. It is such an important principle for us to grasp. So, maybe you're still stuck somewhere in your humanity thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to step out and do what I feel God's calling me to do? It seems weird. It seems edgy. It seems out of the box. I don't know what the pastor's going to think about it or whatever. Well, you know what? Jeremy and I feel like that often, too. We feel like, ah, what are we doing? Now, we're not 20-something anymore. We are halfway to retirement. We ought to know better than to just uproot our whole family in the middle of their family, in the middle of our life, and do this. So, you know, we're out of the box, too, for a lot of people. And so we understand. Sometimes God calls you to step out of the box so that he can reach other people that aren't in the box with us, right? So maybe you're still stuck somewhere in your human frailty thinking, I can't do this, I don't have what it takes. Well, join the club. I think we all feel like that from time to time, if not all the time. So let me share a favorite verse of mine, a truth in the face of doubt, beginning in Romans 8.26. It says, the spirit helps us in our weakness. 
The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And it goes on to say in verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. We're called and you're called. Every single one of us is called to do something great for God. But whether our mission is here in the United States or there in Eurasia, our message has to be the same. We're all on the same team doing the same thing. So instead of seeing the task before us as heavy, immense, or overwhelming, let's remember that the task before us is a privilege. It's an opportunity to share God's love, not a burden. So what do we do now? Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? So despite our humanity and through Christ's authority, he commands us to go, reassuring us that he's with us always. Despite our human shortcomings, and I'm sure there's a list. Our kids are getting old enough now. <laughs> I'm sure that they could list our shortcomings. Because of whose authority we carry, in obedience to the command to the age, and with his reassurance he's with us, Jeremy and I will do our best to plant churches and develop leaders and see nations changed for Christ, for his glory. So I want to close this morning with two thoughts. First of all, what way is he impressing you to send? We've told you we need prayer partnerships, we need the financial partnerships, whatever God is impressing on you to do. We've had people, we, we had a guy who has a fur farm who said, I want to give you fur to make those big Russian hats with. I mean, partnership isn't limited to these two categories. We've had um, Paul Tenpenny and Lori Water take our kids time after time after time and help us out. So, you know, if God's calling you to partner with us in a unique way, don't be afraid to talk to us about that. We'd love to hear it. I love outside-of-the-box stuff. But in what way is God asking you to go? I stand in front of you as a similarly flawed human being to ask you to link arms with us and to go where God has put you as an influencer of people. We're all in the same business. We all work for the same boss. And so what way can you send and what, how is God asking you to go? Who can you influence that you work with, that you live with, where you shop, your family that you're going to see this weekend at gatherings? How can you share the good news that there's a God that loves us deeply and purely without condition and has provided a way through his son to be in relationship with him, to live life as an overcomer, to find victory, and most importantly, as we're stuck here on earth, to find hope in every situation that's before us? What is he calling you to do? So my prayer for all of us today, myself included, I pray this all of the time. I preach the sermon every week in some capacity or another, and every week this is a challenge to me. And I'll just say it like this, because I'm a mom, so I think that gives me like extra license to be bold. Um, my prayer for all of us today is to get over ourselves. Can I just say it like that? To get over our pride, to get over our self-preservation, to get over our inhibitions, to get over the way the enemy talks to us, to get over some rough parenting that some of us have had, to get over our fears, to get over our inhibitions, and to step out and do the greatest thing that each and every one of us has to do in terms of spreading the gospel, knowing he's with us in the going and the sending. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure where you stand with God, 
please talk to Jeremy or I, pastor, the other leadership in this church afterwards. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you and make sure that you're hearing from God the way that you want to as well in your life. My time up here has come to a close, and I would just like to share a real brief three-minute video with you where you'll meet our area director, and you'll see some of the faces and the places of where we're headed and see the heart to get the gospel to Eurasia Northwest. Thank you guys so much.